You're listening to Compassion Radio 360. Good morning, honey. It's time for Compassion Radio's 360 program. We're wrapping up the week, always with a story that seems to be interesting and bubbles up a spiritual lesson for both of us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to make that pivot in this program, but I want to just ask you to explain what this article we're going to talk about is about. The title of the article is Anchorage Mayor Wants to Give Homeless People a One-Way Ticket to Warm Climates Before Alaska Winter. The title itself just brought up so much in me when I read it. There was the sense of, wow, that's a great idea. But then on the flip side of that, it was like, well, what if they don't want to leave? Yeah. <laughs> you know, What's really behind the what's story? What's really behind it? I'm just going to read the article yep. and then we'll have our discussion. And of course, we always have a link to either the video or the article that inspired the discussion we're having today on our Compassion Radio website. So you can read it for yourself. This is from AP News. Anchorage, Alaska. An unfunded proposal by Anchorage's mayor to pay for plane tickets to warmer climates for homeless people who would otherwise be forced to winter outside in the bitter cold has caused a stir in Alaska's biggest city. Last year, eight people, a record for the city, died of exposure in Anchorage and the closure of a large arena earlier this year that served as a makeshift city shelter is sure to exacerbate the crisis in a place where winter temperatures regularly dip below zero. Quote, when people approach us and want to go someplace warm or they want to go to some town where they have family or friends that can take care of them, if they choose to go there, we'll support that, Mayor Dave Bronson said at a Tuesday news conference. If the program moves forward, people can choose to relocate to the lower 48 or somewhere else in Alaska where it might be warmer or where they have relatives. With the pandemic, officials configured the roughly 6,000-seat Sullivan Arena to be a mass care facility. It has served more than 500 homeless people in the winters until city officials decided to return it to its original purpose, hosting concerts and hockey games. While some smaller shelters have opened, there is no large care facility in the city and homeless services are limited. Nine other smaller shelters provide 614 beds for the homeless. Bronson's sudden proclamation comes at a time of political tension over the homelessness crisis between the Republican mayor and the liberal-leaning Anchorage Assembly. Bronson, in 2021, had proposed building a shelter and navigation center on the city's east side, but the Anchorage Assembly whittled the capacity to only 150 beds. Construction was then put on hold when the Bronson administration awarded the contract without approval from the Assembly, which is scheduled to decide next month if it will proceed. The lack of shelter space this winter could leave an estimated 750 unhoused residents in the cold. I have a moral imperative here, and that's to save lives, Bronson said. And if that means giving them a few hundred dollars for an airline ticket to go where they want to go, I'm going to do that. Anchorage Assembly Chair Christopher Constant did not immediately return an email from the Associated Press on Tuesday. However, he told the Anchorage Daily News there have been no formal discussions with Bronson administration to fund the relocation program. A good portion of our individuals experiencing homelessness are Alaska's first people. This is their place. There is no other place, he said. Bronson said a funding source has not been identified, and he's put Alexis Johnson, the city's homeless director, in charge of coming up with a plan for the program. She didn't immediately return an email seeking comment. Bronson said it won't be difficult to administer the program. 
If someone says, I want to go to Los Angeles or San Diego or Seattle or Kansas, it's not our business, he said of their intended destination. My job is to make sure they don't die on Anchorage streets. A one-way ticket to Los Angeles cost $289 on Tuesday, which Bronson said was much cheaper than the $100 or so it costs to house someone every day. When asked if he was simply pushing Anchorage's problem onto someone else, he said Alaska's largest city has 40% of the state's population, but 65% of the homeless population. The taxpayers to whom I'm responsible can't keep footing the entire bill, he said. We need a statewide solution to a statewide problem. The Alaska legislature did not fund the $25 million request from Anchorage to purchase and operate a shelter. A number of cities through the U.S., including San Francisco, Seattle, and Portland, Oregon, have also offered bus or plane tickets to homeless residents. Well, we could spend a lot of time in each one of the paragraphs there, but first read, what do you hear in this? My first inclination is that he sees a real problem here Mm -hmm. that has to be addressed. Which problem do you think he sees? The problem with his administration and getting the streets cleaned up, or he sees a problem with individuals who need help? Well, nowhere in the article does he really talk about needing to clean the streets up. He's talking about the human aspect of this, that people are experiencing homelessness, they are on the streets of Anchorage, and he is concerned for their safety. Yeah. He knows at least eight people died last year in the exposure of the winter, and they've had some success, apparently, with actually housing a number of the homeless people in the arena, which was actually dedicated towards medical care and shelter during the pandemic. When you have that expectation now that there's probably going to be a warm, safe place to be tonight, you don't just suddenly shut the door there and say, well, that was great for then. Good luck now. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at the fiscal realities and the situation politically and the needs of individuals, human rights, really. Mm -hmm. He's got a mix of parties that are in administration of the city. And he's trying to, just by executive order, basically, figure out a way to deal with the immediate problem of individuals. What I don't understand is why they haven't talked with each other or mm-hmm. why there hasn't been any counter proposals right. or other ideas being floated, at least, by people who work with the homeless community in charge of issues of equity and access to health care and food and resources, those kind of things. It just seems like there's a lot of dangling strings here, which yeah. I don't really understand. Right. My first impression here is that he is a sympathetic guy. He's actually seeing human beings here, but I also don't see him actually engaging We're just making assumptions based upon the information that the article gives us. There may have been a whole lot more going on in the background, so I don't want to discredit him for not doing things that we don't hear about. Mm -hmm. It just seems like he hasn't spent time actually doing the research. Mm -hmm. Where are these people coming from? Why are they on the streets in his city? Well, in most capitals of states or major population centers, that's where the homeless tend to gravitate towards because they have more opportunities, perhaps. If one shelter's closed or one food pantry's out, there's probably going to be more around to gain access to if necessary. Right. And major cities like Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, they're all seeing huge upwellings of visible homelessness in their states. Now, the interesting thing about California I learned last week is that after all of the politicking about the issue saying, oh, they're all just coming to California because of good weather. So we're absorbing all of America's homeless. Mm -hmm. When they actually went out there and talked to people about where they came from, 90% of the people that were on the streets in Los Angeles are Californians, born and raised. Right. They lost their homes or access to safe housing in their own state. Mm -hmm. The economy crushed them. And then when the pandemic came, everything got more and more expensive and less and less was available to help them. 
more and more public spending was being put toward the pandemic. So they were doubly hurt by the policies and by the economics of the situation. Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like, according to this article, that the majority of the individuals experiencing homelessness in Anchorage are Alaska's first people. So they would be indigenous to that area. They would also be native Alaskan. The presumption that they just want to go somewhere else or we can just send them somewhere else. Well, they've got somebody else out there to go to. Or they have somewhere else to go is unfounded. Yeah. Now, people might say, yeah, get me out of here. Get me to San Diego. I think about the reductionist economics here. It costs you 229 bucks to get on an airplane to go to Los Angeles. Great. Now what? Then what? You land on foreign soil, basically, <laughs> down the lower 48. You walk out of the airplane. Where are you going to go? Yeah. And how are you going to buy the Uber ride to get there or know what bus to take and stuff? There's no net under this thing to catch the people that are going through it. So I don't see this being a particularly well thought through or even half-baked plan mm-hmm. is simply an emotional response to a gut felt need there that people are going to starve or they're going to freeze next winter. I don't want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. The cynical side of me would say, well, maybe just one of those kinds, like they were suggesting in the article, is just wanting to drive the problem out of state, let someone else take care of it. There's plenty of hot potatoism going on here. Sure. And our country is really dealing with that big time. But we have to buckle down on what the actual reality is for those who are on the streets if we're going to do anything really about it, mm-hmm. administratively, economically, policy-wise. Our country can't solve a problem if it isn't what the problem really is. Mm-hmm. And California has fessed up. We are not just sucking in everybody else's homeless. They're being created natively. Mm-hmm. In their case, hundreds of thousands of new people are homeless because they haven't fixed the housing crisis. They haven't made opportunities for access to an increasing wage ladder so people can afford more. And they'll have no safety net for other social services programs beyond just Medicaid if you're really destitute or have lots of young children Mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. Because most Medicaid, if not all of it, goes to people who actually have homes. So they're in a bind because we have a big, big gap in so many states, if not all of them. Well, and that's the thing, too. What you said just reminds me is that if you don't have a permanent address or a physical address, you often cannot access these sources of help yeah. because you don't have a home. Right. You know, I've been through our own issues with healthcare in the past few years. And what do you do with a bill? We're built around paying private companies for taking care of people, even if it's a government-funded program. It's all through private providers. Mm-hmm. The government doesn't have its own cadre of doctors or hospitals out there. They deal with the private sector to provide those services. And all of them are predicated on the idea of being able to collect on a debt so that they can afford to pay their people and pay their shareholders. Sure. What do you do when someone just shows up and they don't have a driver's license, they don't have an address, they can't even fill out the form? Well, you're left hanging there. How do you even know what medicines to give them? They don't even have a medical history. Mm -hmm. They can't find them because they've been through the system of giving a false name somewhere because they were afraid of being arrested for loitering at a hospital. I mean, there are all kinds of stories like that we hear every single year of people lost in the shadows right in front of us, Mm -hmm. stepping into an emergency room, look around. Who are the people in there? You don't know. You're focused on your need. But there's all kinds of people that are sitting that would never meet on the street in daily life that are suddenly sitting cheek and jowl in an emergency room. Their stories may be vastly different than ours. Their needs may be very similar to ours because of the kind of medical needs they have. But then how does the system, the society, deal with providing those services to those who need it most? Mm. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. 
Will you help us get ready for the next Big Faith Challenges and Opportunities of this year? Your gift today will provide the means for us to begin some new initiatives with our Bible and Relief Partners that reach farther than we've ever gone before. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at one 800 868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. However you give, we'd love to hear more about why you believe in Compassion Radio. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. We're still struggling with this after 250 years as a nation. Yeah. There were early indications that the Christian church back in the 8th and 10th centuries would become that for the entire world because they took on the responsibility of creating things like health services. Nurses were invented and differentiated from doctors by Christians who ran hospitals, hospitalities. They were hospitalers, they called them, (laughs) people who were traveling back and forth from the Holy Land that suddenly fell ill with a disease or an injury along the way. They took care of them. There was really a whole network from the Middle East back into Europe of hospitals run by Christians to assist people who were traveling. So the idea of a hospital was to serve those coming by, coming through, that weren't necessarily just your local community. They took care of people wherever they came from, wherever they were going. They just dealt with it. Right. That was an ethic for the church for a thousand years. Why that evaporated coming into a modern industrial and uh, capitalist society and economy, I don't know. I'm not a great historian on that particular question, but it is a big problem for our generations going forward. What are we really going to do about this? We're not here to provide all the solutions or even the greatest ideas. Many other people have done much better at this than others. But I would say, at the very least, we as Christians ought to be aware and therefore able to engage in discussion about these issues for those who are left hanging or in the gaps. Truth be told, in the Christian church in America, we still have the same kind of demographics all the way through. We have poor people, we've got middle class, we've got rich people in our churches. Right. And some churches are more poor or middle class or rich than others. But it's still the body of Christ. So are we willing to actually engage the entire family and say, how do we as a Christian family get serious even about our own people in the pews, much less the communities that come from, at least for the ones you know best Mm -hmm. or say you do, ones you care about the most or say you do, what do we do? Well, I know that's a rhetorical question because I don't have the answers either. But I do think that Scripture does have a lot to say about people that are experiencing homelessness. What is our responsibility as believers, as kingdom livers, as kingdom dwellers? What is our responsibility? We're already at home in the kingdom. Therefore, how we live in the world ought to have a whole different worldview, Mm -hmm. really. A lot of ways this speaks to our attitude about homelessness, what we think of it. You know, right. that, that that says a lot about our ethic as believers. You know, what do you think of when you think of a homeless person? Right. And the first thought that comes to mind is kind of where you sit in that spectrum. We've been conditioned in many ways here in America to think that homelessness is a crime. Mm-hmm. 
to think that people who are experiencing homelessness are somehow less than, are Morally somehow de- defects there. Yeah. defective, or mentally ill, or criminals, or something like that. Or drug and addicts. It, drug addicts. Yeah. We have to reevaluate no, that. Certainly. At least ask the question, who really are on our streets? Right. Has it ever occurred to us, when we really have an honest discussion about homelessness, how many of them grew up in the church? Hmm. I bet you dimes to donuts. There's a large percentage of them that have some experience in their own communities of origin with some ministry. Right. Most of the mentally ill that are on the streets come from the same kind of communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are not exempt as believers in Christ in the fellowship of believers called the church in the worldwide kingdom of God. We are not exempt from the same things that are common to humanity. Addictions or predilections to addictions, mental illness, abuse, traumas. None of those things have we been able to escape or move beyond better than the world has. At our best, we just get more honest about where we came from, mm-hmm. how we're caring for each other now, and caring about the stories of each other enough to say, no matter how different you are than me, no matter how weird your story is compared to mine in my mind, we're still in this together. Right. That's at our best. At our worst, we deny, we push under the rug, we move on because it's not spiritual enough to deal with. Mm. If we were to find a scripture that kind of nails down the issue for the church specifically and how that might spill over into how we become our brother's keepers out there in the world with gratitude for God providing us the ability to care for others, I would go, Philippians 2, how to imitate Christ and show Christ-like humility. At the very beginning of chapter 2, it says this, Therefore... You've been talking about people who are redeemed, who are actually in the family, who have seen God transform them. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Mm. then make my joy complete by being like-minded. When I see you all acting like this, I am greatly encouraged what Paul's saying. And what does it mean by being like-minded? Well, Having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, that phrase, not looking to your own interests, is not one of those binaries where it's this or that. What it means is don't just look out for yourself. Look out for each other. And what they need. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Yeah. We know it's not wise to make ourselves suffer uselessly or treat ourselves poorly, abuse ourselves. At the same time, when we begin with thinking about other people as being really important to God and therefore to us, we will change our first thoughts. Mm. Our first yeah. thought's not going to be about what fills my stomach and makes me happy today. Yeah. It's going to be about how do I and God together work on making this world a better place? That's just where it starts. Mm-hmm. You know, We know plenty of people that live like that. I admire them every time I see them because my natural inclination is not to start with uncomfortableness is a good thing. Right. <laughs> I start with definitely thinking, what's going to fill my stomach and what do I want to watch on TV tonight? Sure. You know, I'm not always thinking out of the start gate in the morning, wow, how do I do something difficult today for the benefit of the world? I think about me. Yeah. I have to admit that. Right. Paul is enjoining us to reconsider that starting point. Mm -hmm. When the word says to do something, it's not telling us to do the impossible unless God himself is going to do it through us. The Bible doesn't set us up to fail. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it doesn't call us out to shame us. It's calling us into him. Right. And if we really are being called to step up, it's because we can. Yeah. By the Spirit of God, we can do this stuff. Yeah. Well, I think what you said about changing our attitudes and our first thoughts about mm-hmm. people is hugely important. And Jesus himself talks about on the Sermon on the Mount in Luke. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Yeah. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. He's saying when you have the attitude Mm -hmm. of being poor in spirit and being hungry, you'll be satisfied. Our mindset, like you said, honey, is what can I do to satisfy myself first? We don't think of, okay, this is a good place for me to be and a good attitude for me to have. But all throughout Scripture, it talks about that. I mean, the book of Proverbs is full of (laughs) Scriptures about taking care of the poor and not using the poor to benefit your own wealth. Don't exploit. Don't exploit them. And in Isaiah, I found a Scripture that just really struck home with me, and it's Isaiah 58, 7. It says, share your food with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless and poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse to help your own relatives. So (laughs) it's important to view people as human, for one thing, and not just as a group of people, a community of this or that, but individual people who have real stories, who have real lives, who have real needs and real desires, and have real value. And whose desires are not necessarily bad or evil. I mean, their desires are human. Mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. desire to be home, too. And even those who are emotionally disconnected or damaged or are mentally ill does not mean that everything that goes through their mind and heart is somehow ununderstandable or unworthy of being considered. It's simply that there's something broken in there that's causing behaviors that are destructive. You know, truth be told, there are other ways we can destroy ourselves, too. They're not just about being mentally ill. We are really good at coming up with ways to destroy ourselves. We're real creative on that one. We are much less creative about finding a way forward or a way into that which is good, especially on behalf of others. You know, the scripture you read from the Beatitudes... Blessed are the poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. There's two ways of reading that which are complementary. One, blessed are those who know they're poor, Mm -hmm. who want the good stuff. And the other one is, happy are you when you realize that what you have is not the best stuff. There's plenty of people I've met in life which we say, there's so much more going on here you could be part of, that God could be blessing you so deeply. And people responded in different ways with variations on the theme of, well, no, it's all right. I'm fine. Thanks. Mm. I've got what I need. Don't worry about me. That's great. I'm glad that's good for you. I'm glad that God's got you involved with that. But that's just not my thing. Jesus is directing that attack on that worldview of I'm fine. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Because we're really not fine. Thanks. When people are suffering around us, Jesus is making that real clear. Be aware. And if you don't have what you need for the good stuff, then ask God. He's happy to fill your tank. Yeah. I do want to really be rich in the things of God because I'll be content with those things. I'm never really content when I just get stuff. Yeah. Stuff wears out. Yeah. And it wears me out having to take care of it. But when God's taking care of me and I'm helping be part of the solution for others that God wants to minister to, man, that's filling. Yeah. Any sum-ups you would think of when you look at the issue of homelessness in Anchorage and how the mayor is trying to make a simple solution, something that can be funded and dealt with and get people off the streets. What is your takeaway from that, from a kingdom perspective? Something you said earlier has been bouncing around in my mind about knowing the story of the people who are experiencing homelessness before you just decide on a solution for them. Thinking that you know what's best for them is not necessarily always helpful, you know? (laughs) 
it occurred to me that someone very important to us experienced homeless throughout their life, and that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. He did not have a place to lay his head. He says that in Matthew 8. He says, animals have a place to call home. The birds have a nest to build in and to raise their families. I don't have a home. I don't have a place. I depend on the goodness of others. And he's not just talking about a physical dwelling. He is talking about being at home, feeling at home, mm-hmm. experiencing welcome, mm-hmm. knowing you're part of something. In a lot of ways, Jesus had to be the outsider. Mm-hmm. And there was no escaping that because he was doing things that were risky. And many people were not willing to take him in. Few were. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was just a waypoint onto it's something temporary. else. He yeah. was never really going to be home until he was home with his dad. Yeah. If we can start with a perspective that says God himself started off life itinerant, running from place to place, being a refugee, and eventually ending up in a ministry where he didn't have a home at all. He didn't have a congregation. He didn't have a budget. What he had was his father showing him a way through life. If we can start there, I think we've got hope for thinking correctly about those around us who may be experiencing something as devastating for their life as homelessness. Mm. And maybe coming up with some good solutions and trying some things, but most importantly, finding out the story first, that the person receiving this gift understands the gift and that we're giving gifts that are worth giving. That is our prime directive. Put it in Star Trek terms. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us today on Compassion Radio 360. Again, this program and the article that inspired it are on our website at CompassionRadio.com. And we'll see you on Monday for our next Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word study in the Book of Psalms. Thanks for joining us. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training and theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.